Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses to the fifth week of our series entitled Transform. Come on, let's just welcome the campuses right now. Why don't we do that? Welcome our Gulf Coast, our South Shore online campus. You know, we are in a seven-week series uh, entitled Transform, and we're looking at seven key areas of our lives. Week one, we looked at spiritual health. The point was, is we're, we're attempting to end up 2015 closer to Christ than in the beginning. We want to be spiritually healthy, and that's what the teaching really is about, transformation. Week two, we talked about physical health. The Bible has a lot to say. By the way, each week, we're not talking about my opinion. I'm not giving my philosophy what I think. We're going to Scripture. What does the Bible have to say about our physical health? Well, we learned that the Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Week three, we looked at mental health. Now, I want to say the last two weeks, week three and four, mental health and emotional health, we gave away a ton of CDs, probably more than we ever had. Again, all of our CDs are free. You can go by and pick one up on the way out. We taught about emotional health, and we've taught about mental health. This week, I want to talk to you about relational health, how we can, in 2015, transform our relationships. By the way, that's in every dimension. Those of you that are married, husbands and wives, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, parents to children, work relationships, you own a business, you're a manager, you're a supervisor, employee, employer. It's every dimension in a sports team how we can connect as a coach with place, whether it's uh, in the academic world. Every relationship that we have, I want to address from the very beginning book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, I want to talk to you about how to face the fears that ruin relationships. How do we face the fears that ruin relationships? If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Uh, in doing so, we're going to look at the very first couple in the Bible, Adam and Eve, because by the way, that's where all the problems began. Right there, right? The very first book of the Bible, God makes Adam out of the dust. Of course, he causes Adam to sleep one night. He makes Eve. He takes a rib from Adam and he makes Eve. And things are going really well. They're walking, the Bible says, in the garden in the cool of the day. And God's talking to him. Isn't that cool? Where are you going, honey? Oh, I'm going to just well, we're going to go to the left side of the garden, the terrace area, and we're going to talk to God today. I mean, that's a pretty cool life, isn't it? Genesis 3, though, there is an antagonist that enters into this scene. God has always been the protagonist. Pro means for. Anti, against. Someone who was against Adam and Eve. And Satan comes to Eve and lies to her and says, didn't God say that you can't eat from any tree of the garden? Lie. God did not say that. I found something out this week in the Bible. I read that you need to go read Genesis 3. Satan lied and said, didn't God say that you can't eat from any tree of the garden? That's not what God said at all. As a matter of fact, God says you can eat from any tree of the garden except one. Isn't it interesting how the devil comes to us and tries to somehow indict in our minds God, the goodness of God, the God, watch this, the God is holding back from you. Really serve God, really give it all to God. Man, God is... God's holding back. So you better not fully give your heart to God because you never know. God may just, you know, he kind of switches the price tags and things happen and God is, no, no, no. God says you can eat from any tree of the garden except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just one, that's it, just one. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't eat that. Why? why? I often wonder why God introduced the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'll tell you why. What I believe is, is because if there wasn't 
the choice for Adam and Eve to disobey God, then the power of choosing on their behalf to obey God wouldn't mean anything. Matter of fact, if they're a robot, if they had no options to disobey God, then the meaningful or the lack of meaning attached to obeying God wouldn't be there. I mean, if I had, for instance, an arranged marriage, I mean, you wake up the next morning after your honeymoon arranged marriage. Well, I didn't pick you. The other one, I didn't pick you either. I mean, that's not love at all, right? Love is only love when you have the ability to choose someone else. And Adam and Eve, they had this choice. It was called the knowledge of good and evil. This, the choice to not eat from the tree or the choice to eat from the tree, but they could have eaten from any tree. It's interesting when you unpack Genesis chapter three in this story, there, there are three fundamental fears that are present in every human relationship found in this beginning story. Genesis chapter 3, if you have your Bible, we're going to read verse 6 to verse 13. Here, here's what it says. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the only tree God said don't eat from. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. Now, prior to that, some theologians believed that the glory of God actually covered them, the Shekinah glory of God, that they were naked all the time, physically, but, but, but they weren't aware of it because the presence of God was covered. Now, all of a sudden, their eyes are open, and they recognize that they're naked physically. Whoa. And they sewed fig leaves. There was a sense of shame attached to that. So now they're sewing fig leaves together to cover themselves because they're aware of their nakedness. Wow. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Next verse, look at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves <clears throat> from the presence of the Lord. They're, they're, they're scared. They're insecure. They're ashamed. They're naked. Now they're hiding from God. Wow, look at all this. And, and they, they, hide, they were hiding among the trees in the garden. Verse 9, watch this. Then the Lord God called Adam and said, Adam, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Wow. I was, I was afraid. I was afraid. First time we see fear in the Bible. I was afraid. Because I was afraid, I, I, I hid myself, God. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Oh, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, I'll tell you the problem. It's that wife you gave me. <laughs> it's in the Bible. I'm just telling you, it's in the Bible. It's flat out in the Bible. Okay, guys. Hang on, ladies. We're going to get to you. I'm just, it's that woman. Anyway, so, <laughs> she, and she gave me of the tree and I ate. Verse 13, watch this. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? What's your excuse? And the woman said, the devil made me do it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing that, that, that victimization, shifting of blame, right there. I mean, the very first, every relationship we have, every relationship we have, there are three fundamental fears that we're going to see right here. And it's interesting when you get to that, the, the blame game, 
Well, the reason why I'm in the situation is because of my spouse, because of my ex, or my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my kids, the government, the lack of the government. It's the church. It's the other church I went to. It's my job. It's the we, we always we always shift the blame. We shift the blame. Is there another verse here? Thirteen. I think I'm finished with that. And the Lord God said, "What is this?" The woman said, "It's the it, it's the serpent, the, the the devil. It's the devil, the devil that made me do it." I'm going to ask you to take your notes out. It's a fascinating passage, isn't it? It's so fascinating how, how we see in this passage the enormous spiritual truth that's, that's found right, 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 right here. If you have your notes, I, I want to talk to you about three fundamental fears. And by the way, there's a cycle here. There's a powerful cycle, and you're going to see it. There's a powerful cycle of shame, fear, and control. Shame, fear. Every breakdown in every relationship, every breakdown in every relationship, it's attached to this cycle. Shame, fear, and control. I want to jump right into this because unfortunately it shows up in our homes, it shows up in work, it shows up in our business relationships. How fear ruins our relationships, number one, and I put this all in your notes. You guys can follow right along at all of our campuses. It's very, this is one, by the way, this is one you want to write some notes down on. How fears ruin our relationship. Number one, and we're going to unpack it verse by verse. Number one, <clears throat> the first fear is the fear of exposure makes us distant. The fear of exposure. Here's the reality. There are some things about you and I that if we're honest, we don't like about ourselves. We just don't. There's some inadequacies, there's some insecurities, there's some fears, but here's the problem. Because we don't like them about ourselves, what we fear is that if other people got close to us and found out who we really were, that they would find out the things that we don't like about ourselves. We're fearful that if they find out about the things that we don't like about ourselves, that they may not like those things about ourselves and they may reject us. So what do we do? We hide. This fear is such a powerful component in relationships. Look at verse 9 and 10. This is what happens. Then the Lord God called Adam. Adam, where are you? Let me help everybody. Okay, that is a, that is, <laughs> whenever God asks you and I a question in the Bible, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's like God's old, you know. Adam, where'd you go? It's because God wanted Adam to locate where Adam was. God knew exactly where, it was like, I'm, I, are you out there? No, no, he knew. He wanted Adam to own it. Are y'all with me? Whenever God asks you a question, God knows what's going on. He wants you to answer it so that you can locate where you are by way of your answer. He says, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was, everybody said, I was what? Say it, I was afraid. We're scared. We're scared that people are going to find out who we really are. We've all got insecurities. We've all got inadequacies. We've all got these things about ourselves that we don't like. Nobody's perfect. There's only one perfect guy. They killed him. His name is Jesus. We've all got these things about it. And we go in a relationship. And remember when you're husbands and wives, remember when you were dating? I mean, they were perfect. You were allegedly perfect. You put your best foot forward. You remember, oh, you put my right foot in, you take my right foot out. So, because, because, because if you show your true self, and they find out, they may reject you. <clears throat> I was naked, and I was ashamed. 
You can be naked physically, but how many know you can also be naked emotionally and spiritually? I was naked and I was ashamed. Wow. It's interesting what insecurity can do to us and how it can mess up our relationships and how it can color and mark all of our lives. Because there's this fear on the inside of every one of us, this insecurity. If people really discover who we really are, our inadequacies, we compensate, don't we? We all compensate in life. I do. We all do. We, we, we compensate. Now, as we grow in Christ, more of Christ should grow on the inside of us, and we should be less worried and less fearful and less insecure, but that's a process. When we feel insecure, when we feel inadequate, we do interesting things. I, I never forget I was um, in the eighth grade and playing football, and I played the, all the sports, and then I started kind of narrowing in to, to, to play football, and, and, and our coach... The high school coach allowed the eighth grade boys to dress out with the varsity guys. And there was two, there was some, you know, varsity senior guys that I really looked up to and one that played my position, another one played another position, but they were really just powerful guys. I, I never forget when they, they walked over one day and uh, it was all of us eighth graders standing there and we were just kind of hanging out, you know, and just kind of just doing our thing. And, you know, we were just kind of excited to be there. And I'll never forget so they were asking us our names. And so this guy asked me, he says, now what's your name? I said, well, my name, is, my name is Steve. And I was a skinny little kid. And he goes, Steve, he says, your name is no longer Steve. Your name is now Flea. And I went, cool, Flea. It's a real masculine name. And I guess I can jump farther than people. I, I, that's one redeeming quality of a flea. I don't know if you know that or not. I found that out recently. Flea. Wow, cool. And I remember that, 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 that name stuck for, for like two or three years. It was like people, eighth grade and ninth grade. It wasn't, but, but I remember, I remember the fear attached to what if girls find out that, that my name, that, that's not cool at all, you know. Eighth grade boy, flea, you know. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, so, 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 <clears throat> so what do we do? We're scared, we're insecure, we feel inadequate, so we've got to compensate, right? I'll never forget, I made, a, a, I made a judgment, an internal judgment. I'm going to work out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be so strong. I'm going to be so powerful. So, so I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've got to throw off the shackles of this fleeness. And I really did. I was like a maniac. I worked out, just all the weight gain shakes and all this stuff. And this was like 80s, man, before it was real fancy. I mean, we just, we just did, I mean, we just, and I just went, I just went for it. And I got really strong and really powerful. And I don't want to tell you how strong because, man, you'd feel intimidated if your wife's here. I'm just being honest. <laughs> I'm just very powerful. If, but I'm going to tell you this. I was running from something. I was running from that label. What label has somebody put on you? What unusual likes? That's nothing wrong with working out, but I had a motive. I wanted to rename myself. It's interesting when you see business people that are, do the craziest things in the name of renaming themselves because somebody said something about them. They felt a sense of shame. Something happened. They did something. Shame has, by the way, there's always these stages under this fear of exposure. There's stages. The first is shame. Verse 10, I was naked. Verse 10, here, here's what it says. Can you pull that up? I was naked and I, 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 was, I, was, I was ashamed. Again, emotionally. I'm inadequate. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Kind of like when 
again, you, you, you start getting close to somebody and, they, and, 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 you, and you get real transparent and you share something about yourself and it's almost like it's not the eureka, the, the eureka moment that you thought because the fact is they were close enough to you. They saw it all along. We really are not as good at hiding as we, as we think. So number one, everyone say shame. And then number two, after you feel that sense of shame, there's the cover-up. And now Adam and Eve covered up with fig leaves. That's what they covered up with. But we can cover up with all different. And by the way, there are sophisticated leaves that we can use. I mean, highly sophisticated social media, sophisticated business media. I mean, there's accolades and achievements. And, 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 and there's nothing wrong with achievement unless you're trying to cover up. There's nothing wrong with making money unless you're trying to cover up. There's nothing wrong with being famous unless you're trying to cover up. You're trying to cover up a deep feeling of inadequacy that you've carried with you your whole life. And there's that feeling. And so verse 7, the Bible says that they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves coverings. By the way, they, 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 they listen, they did for themselves what God wanted to do. We find out later that God kills an animal and it's the first blood sacrifice. See, see, when we try to cover our own inadequacies, it always looks gross, doesn't it? But when we allow God to do it, it's called redemption. So everyone say shame, say cover up. I'll never forget I was in a meeting with a group of leaders once and I was, a, I, was I don't know, 31, 32 and 10, 15 years ago. And I, and there was business leaders, there was religious leaders, there was professional, there was like a whole, a whole gamut of leaders. And I was in this room and I, quite honestly, I felt a little intimidated. I was like sitting there and these big, huge leaders accomplished in their fields. I'm like, man, what am I doing here? I couldn't even believe I was there. And, but there was one guy, there was one guy, he wasn't too much older than me. He was so dominant. I mean, he was so dominant. Any question that the moderator was, it was, a, it was a leadership forum and this moderator was there and any, any question that the guy asked, the moderator, this dominant individual rose up and had an answer. Anybody in the room that had another answer, the guy got stronger and louder verbally and it was almost like this guy that was a participant, it was almost like he just dissed the guy, just boom, and then he would have his answer. I'll be honest, and I don't mean to be disrespectful. It was gross. I walked out of there. I thought, this just went through my mind. What is that guy covering up? What was said or not said to him as a kid that makes him feel so inadequate that the only way that he can feel significant and a sensation of being somebody is for him to dominate his environment? Everybody say cover up. There's a sense of shame. Then there's a sense of cover up. And it's really interesting where this goes. Then there's just this distance from God and from people. The very thing that that guy wanted, i tell you what he wanted. He wanted affirmation and love. The problem was in his very actions, he was alienating the very people in the room that probably could have given it to him. Look at distance from God. Look at the next verse. And, while his, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. You, you know what we do? We, we run. We run. This is all the fear of exposure. We run from God. We run from other people. We put up walls in our home. We keep people out. We keep our friends out. We keep uh, uh, people that love us out. Wow. I never forget. You ought, to, you ought to Google this. Vince Lombardi, one of his most famous speech, has a couple words that are not real good in there. <laughs> but it, but you, can, you, you ought to Google this. It's about four and a half minutes long, and it's a very powerful speech. You know what he said? 
He said, there's a time, he says, recently in my life, I've looked, Vince Lombardi, most famous coach ever, he says, I've looked in the mirror and, I'm, and I don't even like the man that I see. I've run off all the people in my life that have ever loved me. Wow, that's a pretty accomplished coach too. Just because somebody's successful doesn't mean that they understand how to do relationships, which is really the need that we have. Everyone say distance. So there's shame, there's a cover-up, and there's distance. The first fear is the fear of exposure that makes us distant. What is the second fear? Watch the second fear. It's the, it's the fear of disapproval, and it makes us defensive. Why are you so defensive? Why are you so reactionary? You know what I've often found? Where there is hurt, there's often, listen, heat. Where there's heat in reaction, there's often hurt. It's interesting. We go from hiding and running and covering to attacking. We attack people now. We all do this, right? We attack people. Well, the reason why, and this, that's the verse 12. Uh, the man said, the woman you gave to me, it's her fault. The reason why I'm in the situation that I'm in in life is because of her fault. It's her fault. I'm a victim. By the way, in America, and I know our internet goes around the world, but in America, we live in a victimized society. Everybody else's fault except, no, no, sir, ma'am, you are where you are because of the decisions you made. Even the negative things that happen, you still have a volitional capacity to choose and will your way with God's power out of that situation. You don't have to stay in that situation. We all have a sad story. We've all gone through things, every single person. But the reality is, is this, 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 because we feel inadequate and disapproved of by people, we get reactionary. So what do we do? We start labeling people. Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that interesting how we do that? It's a blame game. Blaming his wife, and then she blames the devil. The serpent deceived me. And, 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 and we, we, we've got to get out of this because in relationships, you start throwing names, you start throwing daggers. You start throwing daggers at your, 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 your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your spouse, your kids. You start throwing daggers. Your boss, daggers. Employees, daggers. And I'm telling you, you know that sticks and stones might break my bones? That's not true. Words hurt. And they alienate people, and, and people distance themselves emotionally. Why? Because, and, and when somebody is throwing those things, and they get volatile in their response. I remember the first couple of years of being married, I'll be honest, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I blame my wife for a lot of things. I did. And, and I'm going to tell you why. Because I didn't feel like I was adequate. I didn't feel like I was measuring up. And so the way for me to protect myself is I just, I just, I just, I just threw daggers. Well, yeah, but if, and the reason is because and since. The day of reckoning is when you finally realize that you are where you are because of the decisions you've made. Even the negative things that have happened in your life, you still have the volitional capacity to choose to respond differently. Number one is the fear of exposure and being distanced. Can you pull up number one for me? The fear of exposure, and, and uh, it makes us distant. Number two, what's the second one? The fear of disapproval makes us defensive. Somebody that's defensive, they're hiding something. I'm not talking about somebody that, you, it's not just being firm, but I'm talking about they're defensive about everything. You get caught, they're defensive. Number three, what's the third one? The fear of losing control, ooh, this is big, makes us demanding. Wow, in a relationship, start demanding people. Demand. 
Yeah, see the result of Adam and Eve's sin is they lost control. They lost control of everything. They lost control of the future. They got kicked out of paradise. When we feel, listen, when somebody feels they're losing control, I'm telling you, this is big. The more, here's what I found. The more controlling that you find that you're becoming in life, it's because the more insecure that you really are. Wow. It's pretty heavy. What happens in the professional world, we've seen this all the time in the workplace, men and women, you guys in the professional world, you find a boss, somebody that's real insecure, they're real controlling. Because it, maybe it's the Peter principle, maybe they've been promoted past their capacity and they're insecure, they feel inadequate. And because they fear exposure, that they're really not the person that's cut out for that job, the way for them to react is to get highly demanding. And if they can get demanding to you, and I'm not suggesting we can have quotas, that we can't have expectations in the professional realm. Of course we do. Of course, in the academic realm, in the professional realm, in the ecclesiastical realm, there's, there's expectations. But I'm talking about when somebody has thrown out the servant leader model of Jesus, and now it's the Mussolini model, where it's about demands, and they raise their voice, and they know how to get people to capitulate by their over-personality in their environments. How many know what I'm talking about? And the whole goal is they're insecure of a loss of control because the, the thing's getting out of control. So I'm going to just ramp it up. Back to number one. Can you show number one? Quickly! I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I just, I just showed. Can I apologize? I felt insecure. I'm sorry. Please send a counselor to that person in the video booth. I apologize. I'm <laughs> just joking. Don't leave the church, sir, please. Okay, here we go. The fear of exposure makes us distant. Watch number two. Here it is. Number two, the fear of disapproval makes us defensive. Number three, what's number three? The fear of losing control. Losing control. That's where we mess up relationships. We demand. We demand. We ramp up. We ramp. Instead of being a servant. So you know, even Jesus said, I, this word will blow you out the water. Jesus said, I, didn't get, I did not come. Jesus said this, okay, not me. I'm quoting, I did not come to be served, but to what? But to, now, do we serve the Lord, yes or no? The answer is yes, as Christians, but we serve because he first served us. That's, that's crazy. That's a paradox, that's a dichotomy. That's called servant leadership. People that you work, people that work for you ought to feel that you have their best intention in your mind to add value to them, to enlarge them, to help them. And whether or not they fit or not is not the issue. You still have their best intention in mind. Yeah. Pastor, man, I don't want to be a controlling person. I don't want to be in And just by the way, I, I've gone through every single one of these. And, and, and every one of us are on a continuum with this. Well, what's the antidote? I'll tell you the antidote. The antidote for control and all that, it's to learn to live in God's love. It really is. We've got to learn to live in God's love. Hey, can I tell you something? You know what I used to think? I used to think the opposite of fear. It's faith. It's not true. It's not true. The opposite of fear is not faith. The opposite of fear is love. That's what the Bible says. First John, uh, look what it says right here. There's no fear in love. See, the person that's been, why does that person really fear? Why do they fear? What is your fear from? Your fear is the fear of not being loved, not being affirmed, not being esteemed by peers, by God, by others, by your spouse, by your kids. So you fear the loss of love. That's what you really fear. That's what we fear. We all fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love, it does what? It casts out what? Say it. Fear. When you know you're loved by God, 
When you know that you're walking in the love of God, there, there's, a, there's a confidence that imbibes it. It, it, it flows out. It's, it's awesome. Wow. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Let me give you four things and then we'll close. Pastor, woo, this is heavy today. This is heavy. Well, I want to listen. I want to do relate. I don't, I don't know. This is not even good grammar, but I want to do relationships better in 2015. How about you? Anybody? Anybody? I want to do them better. Okay, so when we see this crazy cycle of shame, fear, and control, when we see this crazy cycle in our family, in our relationships, in our business, well, oh, I'm, I'm entering this crazy cycle. What do I do? Four things, and we'll close. I've got about seven minutes. Here it is. Number one, number one, every day I must surrender or resurrender my heart to God. Can you pull that up? Every day I must. I'm not talking about you get saved every day, but I'm talking about you resurrender every day. Every day. Do you know in Romans chapter 12, this is really cool, the, 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 the theme verse that we have for the series, Romans chapter 12, Paul says that we are to offer, don't miss this, <laughs> that we are to offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice. Do you know the whole Old Testament, the whole sacrificial system, you know what that's based upon? You know, sacrificing a sheep or a goat or, you know, some, you know lamb, lamb uh, you know, a birds, there was different sacrifice. Okay, you sacrifice dead things, right? Paul says for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that we are to offer up ourselves as a dead sacrifice, yes or no? No, as a what? As a living sacrifice. Do you know the problem with a living sacrifice? We can crawl off the altar. I used to dance in the 80s. I apologize. I, <laughs> don't get them. There's lots going on here. But anyway, so. <laughs> Every day we have the opportunity to crawl off the altar. And you know what I found? When I crawl off the altar, guess what? You know what becomes preeminent and primal in my thought patterns? My rights. My rights in marriage. My right. I have a right. No, all our rights need to be daily submitted to God. God owns my life. God owns my family. God owns my kids. God owns his back. God owns my business. That's really not my business. It's God. He's made me steward over. Now, I'm going to vigilantly steward what God's given me, but it's really not mine. It's God's. It's all God's. Everyone say resurrender. See, when you get controlling in relationships, you fail to realize that that relationship is a gift from God. God, and it's not owned by you. It is only stewarded by you. Yeah. So we daily, I surrender my heart. Some people have asked me, so pastor, should we, should we spend time with God in the, day, in the morning or at night? And I say this very respectfully. I say this humbly. I don't mean to be arrogant, but it, I think the morning's better. Let me tell you why. If you want to have the devil beat you up all day long and finally have reprieve right before you go to bed, that's your choice. I think there's something about setting your day up with God. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? Where you set your day up, maybe five minutes. You got five minutes. Yes, you do. Five minutes, you set your heart, 10 minutes. You set your soul, your, your, your true north with God that day. Number one, resurrender. Number two, the second thing I need to do, we're talking about how to do relationships better. Yeah, yeah, relationships go back to our relationship with God, number one. Second thing here is every day I must remember that God loves me. Every day. Every day, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century was a man named Reinhard Niebuhr, and he was in the 30s in Germany. And uh, he was asked, what 
I mean, this guy had a colossal intellect. I mean, you're talking about just volumes of systematic theology. This guy was brilliant. I mean, just, just who knows what his IQ is. And, and he was asked what, they asked him, Reinhardt, what is the most powerful theological thought that ever went through your mind? Here's what he said. You guys ready? He said, he paused. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He said that in German. We never grow past that thought. That's the most profound theological, you can talk about eschatological understanding, Old Testament, ecclesiological, pneumatology. There's nothing more profound in the Bible than that thought. And here's the thought, you're loved by God. The person whose core is whole, and we're all in process. Trust me, I'm a preacher, but I'm also a Christian. I'm in process just like you. The person that has a whole internal constitution is a person that, 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 that knows they're loved by God. Because when you know you're loved by God, listen, I mean, all hell can be thrown against you. Everybody's going to have an opinion about you. Everybody's got an opinion. Nobody is 100% approved by people. Nobody. When you know that you're 100% approved and loved by God, I mean, you know, you can charge hell with a water pistol. Something that happens on the inside of an individual that we're completely accepted. We need to know that we're completely accepted by God. We need to know that we're unconditionally loved by God. We need to know that we've been totally forgiven by God. There's no condemnation to those in Christ. Your past is your past. Your past ended last night, sir. Ma'am, your past ended. Today's a new day in God. The mercies of God are new every what? Say it, morning. So I'm forgiven by God. I'm unconditionally loved by God. We're considered worthy and valuable because of who God is and what he's done for us. How do you determine value? Those of you in the business world, I'll tell you, number one, what is somebody willing to pay for it? Number two, who owns it? A basketball, a basketball in my hands means 30 bucks. But a basketball sign in the, in the hands of LeBron James is lots of money. Your life in your hands means one thing. Your life in God's hands means another thing. You're valuable. I had a guy one time, and I believe in what's called theologically the depravity of man. I believe that we have a, what's called an, a moral inability to please God apart from God's intervening grace. I believe that. But I also believe that we're not junk. I'll never forget, I had a preacher friend who was talking about, he was just preaching and he was just talking about how worthless man is. I like, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. Jesus did not die on the cross. God did not send his best to die on the cross because we were junk. Hey, you know, we're worth, we are worth something to God, enough to send his son Jesus to die. Are you with me? You're valuable, sir. Tell you, you're valuable. I'll close with this. How, 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 do, I, how, how do I understand? How do I get this thing? I would say this, every day we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Do you know confession is an interesting thing? I don't want anybody to miss this. I got about two minutes. Every day you need to speak the word of God over your life. Confession, the, it's, a, it's a, a word in the Bible, the word to confess. It's actually two Greek words. Homo means same, legeo means word, is the Greek word logos. To confess means I agree with God. There's two forms of confession. Number one, 
When God convicts me of my sin, I confess I've sinned against God and the Holy Spirit cleanses me. But there's another confession that has nothing to do with the negative, it has to do with the positive, where I positively confess the word of God over my life. Do you know every day we need to confess, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves as much as we preach it to other people. I'm righteous because of the blood of Christ. I'm loved by God. I am affirmed by God. I can do all things through Christ. You feel inadequate, sir? Don't try to overcome your inadequacy by your performance. Overcome your inadequacy because of the gospel. God can help you. God can shore you up on the inside. You didn't get it from your dad growing up, but you can get it from the gospel. You didn't get it from the coach growing up, but you can get it from Jesus. It's not to suggest performance is, is not important, but it's secondary. Your primary sense of significance comes from who God has made you to be. Does anybody agree with that? That's where it comes from, who God has made you to be. All right, let me give you this final thing. This final thing is every day, we offer that love to others. When I love another person, my love runs out, but God's love doesn't run out. Something about, as a mature Christian, we should continually enlarge our circle of love, where we accept people, we embrace people. Doesn't mean that you approve of every single thing that everybody, it's like our kids, we love our kids, doesn't mean we're, we approve of every action, but we love them. We're with them. Do the people in your world know that you love them, that you're for them, that you're with them? Something happens when you embrace people and you actually feel the love of God flowing through you. I want my relationships to be transformed in 2015. What do I do? Number one, I gotta re-surrender my heart every day to God. God, everything I have comes from you. These relationships from you, I wanna steward them well. Number two, I need to remind myself who I am in God not by my works, not what I've done, but who I am, infinitely loved by God, forgiven by God. Number three, I've got to be willing to step out and allow the agape love of God to flow through me to love other people the way God's called me to love. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. I'm going to do one more thing. It's a little bit different. I can't remember doing this in a long time, but I want to read a scripture over you. I think it's going to be a powerful scripture to help every one of you. And um, hey, you guys ever heard of shame on you? You ever heard that before? Let me tell you, 2015 Church of the King, shame off you. We want, we want to get that off of us. Shame is the feeling that we are defective. We want to get that off. We're loved by God. We're cared for by God. I want to read a scripture over you, all right? And I'm gonna tell our altar team if they wanna come, come forward, here's how we're gonna finish the service just like last week. And there was people for an hour, they were getting prayer. People can line up and down the aisles. Have they, we, we just, we wanna minister the life and the love of Christ to you. But I wanna speak this scripture and our team can come right now. This is your, this is your word, 2015. Here it is. Sir, ma'am, instead of your shame, you're gonna have double honor in 2015. We're believing God, all the sins of your past, where people bring up stuff, the things that you did, the things that were done to you, that feeling of inadequacy, that feeling of unworthiness. We're not gonna to try to name ourselves this year. We're not gonna to try to confirm ourselves and affirm ourselves. We're gonna let God's word affirm us. We're gonna let, instead of your shame, you're gonna have double honor. Instead of your confusion, we're not gonna be confused. <laughs> no, we're gonna, Instead of that, we're going to rejoice in our portion that God gives us. Therefore, 
In the land that God gives us, we're going to possess it with double. And everlasting joy will be upon our heads in 2015. Come on, how many of y'all receive that? You guys receive it? It's for you, Father. I thank you for your grace. I say this, if you do not know Jesus in here, our altar is going to be open. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Also, if you need prayer, maybe there's a hurt in your heart, man. We want to help minister life to you. With the Holy Spirit to minister to you, the grace of God. Our altar is going to be open for anybody that needs to stay as long as you want. Spirit of God, we thank you that you're healing us. You're healing our hearts. We don't have to try to be anybody. We can simply embrace what you've made us to be. We don't have to be scared. We're not going to submit to feelings of insecurity, feelings of inadequacy. We're going to stand boldly in the love of God in 2015. We're going to stand confidently in the grace of God. Loved by God. Cared for by God. Forgiven by God. Lord, I bless your people as they go forth this day. In the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, can we give the Lord a hand clap? Can we do that?